Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles or your phone, you want to turn to Acts chapter 1, the Acts of the Apostles, technically, chapter 1, where today we have the privilege of starting a new series. We've entitled it Power Today. Because what we read in the book of Acts is not something that's relegated to 2,000 years ago. It's something that's designed and intended for today. So we make our way through this book. We're going to learn some tremendous spiritual principles. We're going to see, first and foremost, how God works through his Holy Spirit to empower his people to do what would be impossible for any one of us to do on our own. We're going to see how God designed for us to minister to one another. We're going to see his pattern for building the church. We're going to see his pattern and plan for world evangelization and missions. If you want to know where the church came from, how it was founded, and what it should be like today, the book of Acts answers those kinds of questions. So today is really just a bit of background on the book as we talk about some of the concepts that are important for us to be able to understand, and then we'll make our way starting next week through really chapter one, we'll start taking it apart. Let me just say this, the book of Acts could easily, just as easily be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because when you read through the book of Acts, the dominant person, is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is on every page, is involved in every person's life. 42 times we have the words Holy Spirit mentioned. Another 15 times it says the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, which means 57 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts. As you read through it, it's the Spirit filled, the Spirit came upon, the Spirit said, the Spirit took, actually moved somebody from point A to point B. All kinds of activities of the Holy Spirit empowering people as they shared the gospel. One of the hardest things to do is to share the gospel without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And yet there are many Christians who attempt to do that. It's not wrong to do it, it's just harder to do it. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, it makes a dynamic difference in their life because suddenly it's not just what they can do, but it is the power of God on them, working through them to accomplish what only he can do. And what he can do is always better and greater than what you and I can do. The book of Acts revolves around the Holy Spirit and his work. As he regenerates, as he baptizes, as he feels, as he chooses, as he sends, as he empowers people to do miracles, as he presides over decisions in the church, literally, the Holy Spirit directs absolutely everything that happens in the early church. I pray that that would be true of James River Church. 
The last thing I want is what I can do. The last thing I'm interested in is, is what I can think of and what I can give my strength to. I am more interested in what he is doing and I'd rather only do what he wants to do than to spend our time doing a thousand other things. The book of Acts tells us about church growth. If we're going to see the church of Jesus Christ built, we have to be directed, we have to be led, we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, as we come to the book of Acts, the book of Acts is a two-volume set. It's the second of two volumes. Volume number one is the Gospel according to Luke. And then volume two is the Acts of the Apostles. Luke is the one who wrote both books. Interestingly enough, he is the only Gentile to write a book in the New Testament, and he writes two. Other than that, we do not know a lot about Luke. We know that he was a doctor. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, our dear friend Luke the doctor sends greetings. He was a good friend of Paul's. We know that he was with Paul really through half of the book of Acts. You find Luke there from chapter 16 on. Luke is with Paul. He's serving Paul. He's helping Paul. Luke writes about all these different events, and in the first person, we sought to go on to Macedonia. Luke is with Paul as he's taking the gospel into Europe. We sailed away from Philippi. When we had come to Jerusalem, we were in all 276 persons in the ship when they had the shipwreck. At the end of his life, as he's in a prison, Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. He says this, only Luke is with me. Luke was a good friend of the Apostle Paul. One of the reasons that Luke writes this account in Acts, it's not the only reason, but practically speaking, in the Roman world, is to explain this movement called Christianity as it swept across the Roman Empire. In 30 years, imagine this, it goes from a handful of followers to literally dominating the Roman Empire. And there would be questions, where did it come from? How could it happen that, that a few uneducated people could so rapidly spread it? Where did they get the resources? And Luke's point is not just to give a historical account, but in a very real sense, what Luke is doing is he is writing a commendation of Christianity to the Roman world. Here's what he does. He gives a favorable treatment of Christianity as it is received from several prominent Roman officials. So when a person's reading it, they're saying, oh, you mean the governor of Cyprus? He became a Christian? The proconsul of Achaia, he was favorable toward the apostle Paul. The officials at Ephesus, they knew several Christians. The Roman governors in Judea, they listened to Paul, they interacted with Paul, they knew about it. The Roman commanders knew about it. The governor of Malta, he knew about it. His father was healed by the apostle Paul. What Luke is doing is he's pointing out that Christianity is not some cult cloaked in secrecy and run by a bunch of lunatics. Many government officials, when exposed to Christianity, were very favorable in their response. 
The key verse for the book is Acts chapter one and verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There is a power that is available to every single believer following salvation that will transform them. That verse literally as well gives us an outline to the book of Acts. The first part of the book is you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's the outline for the book. Jerusalem and Judea is Acts chapter one through Acts chapter eight, verse four. Samaria is Acts chapter eight, verse five through Acts chapter 12, verse 25. The ends of the earth is Acts chapter 13 and verse one through Acts chapter 28 and on today. In Acts chapter one, we read this in verse one in the first book, O Theophilus, Luke is writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. He is probably a Roman official. We say that because in Acts chapter one or in Luke chapter one and verse three, Luke addresses him as almost excellent Theophilus which is a phrase that is reserved by Luke for Roman officials like Felix the governor, Festus the governor, later in the book of Acts. In verse one, we read this, in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. The key word in the book of Acts is what Jesus began. Luke says, in my gospel, I talked about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until he ascended into heaven. Luke's gospel ends with Jesus ascending into heaven, and Luke says the gospel was only the beginning of the teaching ministry of Jesus and only the beginning of the deeds of Jesus. This is very important for people to understand. I don't think most people realize this. Most people think the ministry of Jesus ended in the Gospels, not true. The Gospels was only the beginning of Jesus' ministry. His saving ministry was finished at the cross, to be sure. He said it is finished, but he wasn't talking about his ministry. The teaching ministry, the deeds, the signs and wonders ministry, is still going on. Jesus is not done with his teaching ministry. Jesus is not done with his signs and wonders ministry. Jesus is not done healing people. He is still working today through his body, which is what? The church. We're the body of Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Who's the one empowering our ministry? It's the Holy Spirit. Who are we doing it on behalf of? It's Jesus. He says, in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Any gospel ministry is more than a person talking. Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it's a matter of what? Power. 
Unfortunately, what's happened is the church in our generation has somehow come to believe that it's all a lot of talk. Yes, it's talk, but it's also power. Yes, it's the truth, but it's also backed up by signs and wonders. We've gotten so far away from that that as I say it, many of you are having to stop and think about it to think whether that could be true. Which shows you how far the church has gone from relying on the supernatural. In many cases, the church has been reduced to what people can do. What a tragedy. You can tell I'm passionate. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. He says to the Corinthians, he said, I didn't come to you with fine-sounding words, but with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power. He says this, by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I want to suggest to you something that, again, if you're going to say, well, I think, then I can't help you. Because once we go there, once we go to what we think, then, then it doesn't matter. You can think a thousand things that may or may not be true. I'm just simply suggesting to you that biblically speaking, the gospel is always comprised of words and deeds. It is the message, yes, backed up by the power of the Spirit to touch people at their point of need, to validate the truth of the gospel this is the will of God, and it is his desire to equip not just a few, but everybody. As one man said, we all get to play. It's not a spectator sport. It's not a few people wowing the crowd. It's everybody operating under anointing of the Holy Spirit and sensitivity to the Spirit. And in the moment that the Spirit prompts you, praying with both an authority and a power as you demonstrate the gospel, both with word and with deed. Wherever Paul was preaching, it was always Jesus doing, Jesus teaching. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is still teaching. Jesus is still doing miracles. The gospel is fully proclaimed when we say what Jesus said and we do what Jesus did. Back to Acts chapter 1. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. Who gave commands through the Holy Spirit? Jesus did. Luke adds that because he wants us to understand something very, very critical about the ministry of Jesus. See, a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus was the Son of God, therefore Jesus could do whatever it was that he wanted to do. 
While that's true in theory, it's not practically true in terms of how Jesus chose to operate. Although he was God, and he would have had the prerogative, he's co-equal with the Father, co-existent with the Father. There was never a time when he did not exist. He functioned with the Father in unity. And let me just say this, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, they're co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. All three functioning in this beautiful harmony. But when Jesus came to earth, he set aside the prerogatives and the privileges of deity. That's what Philippians chapter 2 says. Although being God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't hang on to it. He set aside, this is what it means when he was, he was the God-man. He was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. And speaking of being the Son of Man, listen to what he says in John chapter 5. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. He, he only did what he saw the Father doing. He did not act unilaterally. His saving work on the cross came by way of him being the spotless, perfect sacrifice, certainly the Son of God, but his ministry was done through the power and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Luke takes great pains to explain that. Here's why I'm saying it to you. Listen, if he, if he functions as the Son of God and he heals all kinds of people, it's very impressive. I mean, honestly, but we're not God, so how could we expect he ever do that? But if, as the Son of Man, he relies exclusively on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do what he does, then all of a sudden, that ought to evoke in every single person a desire to say, Lord, I want to follow you. He left us an example that we would follow in his footsteps, 1 Peter chapter 2. He relied on the Father. He prayed. He got up early. Why? Because he had to hear from God. He relied on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He depended on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Prior to the Holy Spirit anointing him, there were zero miracles. Read your Bible. We read this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. Verse 14, Luke 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, he, that's Jesus, went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The way that would work is if you had somebody who was well-known or maybe somebody who would come home who had left and now came back, which would be the case with Jesus, they would be given the privilege of reading from the scriptures for that day. And they didn't pick, they didn't say, hmm, let me think. I, I think I would like to read from Isaiah. No, there is on every Sabbath day a certain Old Testament, certain reading from the prophet, a certain reading from the, from the law, a certain reading from the Psalms. So on the day he's there, the reading to be read is from Isaiah. 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, he sat down and he said, today that's fulfilled. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. You get a sense of his dependence on the Spirit in Luke chapter 5. And the power of the Lord was present. Remember, he's teaching all of the Pharisees and religious leaders had come to hear him. And so he's teaching them in a house and, and there's no room. And there are four friends who have a friend who is paralyzed. And so they're going to lower their friend down through the roof. And, and Luke gives us this insight. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal. What does that imply? There were times that wasn't so. There were times he healed everyone. There's times he didn't. Generally, he did. But in this case, the power of the Lord is present for him to heal. So he does. Luke 10, 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, how through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, or Acts, excuse me, Peter says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How did he do what he did? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You want the Lord to be with you in a in an unusual way, in a powerful way, be filled with the Holy Spirit and let him anoint you with the Holy Spirit in power and watch what happens. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how he did what he did, which is why he can say this to us in John chapter 14, verse 12. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What does him going to the Father have to do with things? But I tell you the truth. He says in this same discourse, it's three chapters long, John 14, 15, 16. It's, it's after the Last Supper. It's before they go to the garden. He's giving them a last round of teaching. He says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor... Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now let me take you one more place so you can see where Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. We could go to Matthew's gospel, we could go to Mark's gospel, we could go to Luke's gospel, but I want to take you to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, this is right at the start, right before Jesus' ministry begins. Remember his cousin, John has gone out into the wilderness and he's preaching and he's calling the people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he's there and he is, he is preparing the way for the Messiah, they ask him, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm the one who prepares the way. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John speaking. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, 
and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering up his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to detour him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. John's not talking about being baptized in water. John's already said, there's one coming after me and he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What's John saying? I don't need to baptize you, I know who you are. You're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he'll say in John chapter one. But John is saying, I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus replied, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now let me just take a moment and talk about this because this, this is a very profound scene. As John has the privilege of baptizing the one from whom he himself needed to be baptized. John had prophesied about this baptism of fire and John wanted this baptism, why? Because John knew he needed it. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus said, would later say, John was the greatest born among women up to that time. Greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, he's the greatest prophet. The people are streaming out of the cities, coming to the desert to hear this man preach. He's reproving him when they, when they come. He's saying, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? And they kept coming. And they came, and they came, and they came. But John says, I need that baptism with fire. Most people would say, no, I've got the crowds coming. I'm good. Most people would say, I like what I got. I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm just simply saying, if God has more, my question for you is, do you want it? Because truth be told, there are some here today and you're not sure. And maybe it's because when you look at your life, you say, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm just saying, if you really understand what this is about, what this baptism with fire is about, you won't be able to think about anything else till you get it. It's a mind-boggling reality, really. John is considered the greatest, and, but Jesus says this, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. How can that be? Do you know what the answer is? That baptism in fire. And then you have Jesus, and he's there, and I'll just briefly talk about this. The one without sin underwent a baptism of repentance when he had no sin to repent of. Why? I think we could say Jesus is leaving an example for us that we would follow in his footsteps. 
Jesus is showing us what he wants. He's not going to ask from us something he himself won't do. I think that's certainly part of it. I also think there is somewhat the role of an intercessor as Jesus stands in the shoes of humanity, so to speak, in that moment, as if to plead their case as if it were his own. So in that moment, Jesus is baptized in water in a baptism of repentance on our behalf. And in that moment, what happens is the heavens were opened. We have a tendency to think of it as being a very gentle moment. You know, the sky rolls back and, you know, the dove comes down and the father says, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. And we think of it as very peaceful and tranquil. I'd like to suggest to you it was nothing like that. That in that moment, the word torn, it's the same word used in Matthew 27 of the veil in the temple being ripped. It's the same word being used when Jesus died on the cross and it says there was an earthquake and the rocks were torn apart. It is, it is a cataclysmic moment as heaven is ripped open in that moment. And from this moment on, Jesus is living under an open heaven which again, I would suggest to you is true for everybody who ever gets baptized. There's something about heaven opening over your life which should make you very hungry to be baptized if you haven't been, and I would encourage you to do that. But watch what happens in verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, the heaven was opened. It's torn open. From now on, it's totally different. From now on, Jesus' ministry is changed radically. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And what happens right after that? Look at it in these verses. We'll look at it all the Gospels. Jesus was led by the Spirit. The Spirit immediately drove him out. Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is now come upon him. And now the Spirit, here's what it means to be, to, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the Spirit of God coming upon somebody now. So it's, it's, it's used, it's the idea, the, the Greek word uh, of being filled with the Spirit, plerau. It's of a wind filling a sail, pushing a ship along. It, this idea of driving is not far off of it, that now the Holy Spirit, he's driving you, he's steering you, he's directing you, he's pushing you, he's leading you. You're so full of him that now he's moving you in a way you would have never gone on your own, very possibly. Now back to Acts chapter 1. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard him for 40 days as he's teaching the disciples, as he's preparing them, he's talking to them, he's, he's getting them ready, he's going to turn everything over to them. He, he spends 40 days after his resurrection, he, he proves that he's alive, he proves because they're going to lay down their life for him. And he's pouring in, and he's pouring in all the things that he wants them to know. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. What are they waiting for? For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
How important is the infilling of the Holy Spirit? And again, we could say baptism, infilling, spirit came upon, all synonymous in the book of Acts. How important is it if Jesus, knowing the world is waiting to be evangelized, says to the apostles, listen, you know me now, you've, they've, they've been saved, they believe, they understand his saving work on the cross, they understand he's resurrected, they put their faith in him, they're all saved at this point. I believe that it happens really at that moment when Jesus breathes on them in John 20 and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now he lives in them. Just like when a person gets saved, he lives in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there is a second work of the Spirit where he comes upon you, where he empowers you. That's what we're talking about here. How important is this if rather than Jesus doesn't say, hey, now you've got the message. Now you know. Get out there. Do what you can do. He says, no, wait. How long? It doesn't matter. Wait. You need this. You can't do what I'm asking you to do without it. Here's the problem. Too many Christians are too confident in their own experience and believe they can do all God has called them to do without this. Hey, listen, I don't write the scripture. I'm just teaching it. I'm, I'm not an apologist for a denomination. I'm not saying this because I'm credentialed with the Assemblies of God. I'm saying it because this is what the Bible says, period. It's what it says. And what I'm wanting, wanting you to understand is that if you've not been empowered by the Holy Spirit in this way, your most exciting times are in front of you. That you've been, you've been driving in a car on square wheels. This is like putting you in a spiritual Ferrari. This, this is... This is made to go. John Piper writes this. That's a right angle turn, isn't it? We're trying to answer the question, what is the heart or essence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit? I have said that I do not think the essence is new birth or conversion or being united to the body of Christ. He's saying it's not being saved. That's not what we're talking about here. This is John Piper. What then is it? Why do I not think it is the same as what Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which is where a lot of people take a wrong left turn because they're not reading what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians uh, says this, for we were all baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. The Spirit of God places us into the body of Christ. Who's doing the baptism here? This Holy Spirit is. Who's doing the baptism that we're talking about in Acts? Jesus. It's two different baptisms. Back to Piper. I think the essence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a person who is already a believer receives extraordinary spiritual power for Christ, exalting ministry. He's right. That's exactly what it's saying. 
And any objective look at the scripture will come to that conclusion. I'm just telling you. I, I, listen, people, when people begin to shape their theology off sectarian defenses, their interpretation of scripture begins to become skewed. Let the Bible speak. Let it say what it says. Now, let me, let me just say this. The Christian life was never designed to be a spectator sport. It was never designed, the church is not a waiting room for heaven. You're not here to wait till Jesus comes back. You, he saves you for a purpose, right? We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he ordained in advance for us to do. And honestly, the scope and the scale of what God has called, not me, you to do, is beyond your ability. What he's called me to do is beyond my ability. We, we were born again to share the good news, but before we evangelize, we have to be empowered. And I'm not saying people, there are people who've done a lot in the way of evangelism without this. I'm just saying they would have done even more with this. Christianity is about demonstrating the power of the resurrection. This is about, listen, you have to, as we talk about Jesus being alive, as we talk about the power of God that, it works, that works in us, what we're talking about is the kind of power that not only helps us to boldly tell people the gospel. Let me just say this, because I, I, I wanna speak to the Pentecostal people in the room. People who would say, I'm filled with the Spirit. I think this, by and large, this would be my experience. That in many cases, you cannot tell the difference between a person who says they're filled with the Spirit and a person who isn't. And I know I'm gonna get in trouble with this because I think most people stopped when they spoke in tongues and they got the initial physical evidence, but they didn't get the ultimate biblical evidence, which is power. They began to speak in a language they didn't know and they said, I've got it. No, you, you'll know when you're when you're filled, when you're overflowing. I would suggest this to every single spirit-filled believer in this room who says, I'm spirit-filled. If you have a fear of people when it comes to witnessing, you're not full of the spirit to the degree God would want you to be. You say, what do you mean? This is what Jesus said. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Do you know what that word witnesses is in the Greek? We get our word martyr from it. You'll be my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you'll be so full of power that you'd be willing to talk to anybody, even if it costs you your life.
But I meet a lot of people who speak in tongues who wouldn't, who are scared to death to go across the street and talk to their neighbor. You can't be full in the way that Acts 1-8 is talking about. I'm not, I'm not saying that unkindly to you. I'm just saying there's more for you. And you've stopped too soon. You thought you had it all when you didn't, which is why, for some of you, it's not that big a deal. And that's tragic. When you're filled full to overflowing, you will have a holy boldness to speak to anybody, anytime, anywhere about Jesus. And you'll have a power on your life to see people delivered, healed, and set free. I'm just saying that's what we're talking about. So let's, let's, I'm trying to get everybody on the same page here. Because honestly, we talk, we talk about Lord send revival. We talk about, we talk about seeing people saved. Do you want to know where it's going to start? Do you want to know how it's going to start? When God pours his spirit out on this place and on everybody in this, and we are so full of God, we don't have room for anything else. And we are so bold with the Lord that we'll talk to anyone, anywhere, anytime with a power and an anointing that grabs their attention and produces a revival wave of the spirit across Southwest Missouri. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, here's, here's what I'm challenging everybody. I don't, I don't care what background, from any background or no background, it doesn't matter. The issue is once you come to know Jesus Christ, you've entered into a supernatural relationship with the God of the universe. And God has created you for a purpose. You were created on purpose with a purpose. God wants to use you. He wants to empower you. And we all get to be a part of that. And God wants to set his hand upon you. He wants to give you a boldness that will take you beyond yourself. Listen, witnessing isn't just for the, for the erudite or the articulate or the person who's got a lot of charisma. It's for the quiet person full of the Holy Ghost who stands up and says, I want to tell you about my God. I want to tell you about what he's done for me. And I don't care what you think, but I am full of the Holy Ghost. And he's empowering you to minister to people. That's what we're talking about. That's power from heaven. And that's power for today. And that power is available to everyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. So my question for you is, have you received that power? Are you full to overflowing? When you look at your life, is there a boldness that says, I'm not afraid of men. I'm not afraid of anyone. I am willing to share Christ with anyone, anywhere, anytime, you name it. And when you pray, do you pray with an effect that is not from you, but is from the power of God working through you to bring deliverance, healing, answers to the impossibilities of people's life? That's how the book of Acts describes the Christian life. And that's what God wants for you. Power for today. Amen.